In message number eight in our series, Thriving in the World, Dr. Joel Hunter poses the question, Choosing Your Own World? From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter will use Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 through 28 as a scripture text, and it reads as follows. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. If therefore they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for message number eight in his series, Thriving in the World, and his message, Choosing Your Own World. Well, let me just add to the suspense here, or, or, or evaporate the suspense. Some of you saw me disappear around the corner here. Um, there's a black Lexus that's blocking a lane of traffic out there, so if you could beat it out of here and move that black Lexus, because uh, that, that will really clog up the works. Uh, curiously enough, this is very much on the subject because what we're talking about this morning are the details of life versus the deep things of life. If you would turn in your scriptures to the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that we are talking about the last days the characteristics of the last days. Remember that Jesus has just been asked by his disciples what will be the sign of his coming again at the end of the age. And last week we talked about the destruction of Jerusalem or the fall of the mightiest institutions of a society. And now Jesus turns with the first word in verse 23, then... He turns from the destruction of what will happen very soon to the tendencies that will extend themselves to the end of the age. He talks to believers that will be through the ages. And he says this, Then, if anyone, remember that word, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Kaitos electus, which kaitos electus, which is, which is a design on the elect, or or going for the greatest goal, which would be the elect. People who are already saved will be misled. Behold, I have told you in advance, this is a warning, if therefore they say to you, notice the dichotomy here, I have told you, they say to you. If therefore they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth, or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them, 
For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, there's going to be a dead religion. There's going to be a lot of people around it. Don't go. Now, let me tell you straight up what very much disturbs me about this passage. What very much disturbs me about this passage is this question. How could we supposedly know Christ and not recognize him if he came again? How is it that we don't know someone well enough to recognize them if they walk in a room when we're supposed to be his brothers and his sister, sisters, the children, the co-heirs of life eternal with him? Why is it that Christ needs to describe the coming days and the deception that will happen and say, don't fall for it? It is because we don't have the intimacy with Christ that we ought to have or that we think we have. It's only on that basis that Christ would need to say this at all. It disturbs me that it's in Scripture. It disturbs me further that I hear Christians saying every once in a while, well, I wonder if Jesus comes again, how we'll know it's Him. Because there's supposed to be Antichrist in deception. There's supposed to be people who are claiming to be Christ. I wonder how we'll know. That disturbs me. How would you not know someone you were very close to? Unless we weren't very close. It disturbs me that the people who thought they would know him the first time didn't know him. There were 300 prophecies and references to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, he fulfilled every one of them. Now, Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, talked about a professor of statistical probability that picked out just eight of these prophecies and analyzed the probability of any one man answering just eight of these prophecies in the Old Testament. And his conclusion was the chance of that happening, just one man answering just eight of those prophecies, was one in 10 to the 17th power. Let me give you an example that will say that. This was an example in the book. If you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep and marked one of those silver dollars and dropped it somewhere in that pile and then blindfolded someone and set them to walking through those silver dollars and tell him to walk as far as he wanted, as long as he wanted, and whenever he felt like it, he could reach down and pick out of those silver dollars a silver dollar, and the chances of him coming up with the one that you marked is the same chances as one person fulfilling these eight prophecies from the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled Every one of the 300 prophecies and references, how in the world could they have missed it? But they did. 
The reason that they could miss him is because they didn't have the relationship they thought they had. They had built systems of religiosity instead of a personal relationship with God. Now, this is not a rocket scientist concept, folks. You either know somebody or you don't know somebody. And you know how well you know them. Many of you people grew up with somebody who knew you better than you know yourselves. They knew how you would react to any given subject. They knew what you were feeling. You could walk in a room and they could immediately tell what you were feeling. They knew you that well. Did you ever have somebody know you like that? My mother knew me like that. I mean, it was scary. I remember coming in one time when I was a little boy, and I'd been out playing. Of course, boys, I, I got dirty when I played, and there was dirt all over, and I had dirt in my hands because we were digging for treasure or something. Always digging for treasure, you know. Always somebody making up a map, and then we'd go dig for treasure. And <clears throat> came in, and she was watching a, a TV program I like, and I just sat down and started watching a TV program. She looked over at me. She said, young man, you go wash your hands right now before you even sit on this furniture. So I didn't want to, but I thought, oh, okay, okay. So I remember running, I remember this, running down the hall and thinking to myself, well, I turned the water on, brushed my hands underneath, wiped the dirt on the towel, be back in there in a second. So I get back in the bathroom, turn the water on, go like this, and I hear this shout from the living room. And don't just wipe, wipe all that dirt on those towels. You use soap. So I said, okay, I know how to get around that. You just splash water on the soap. So if she checks, the soap is wet. So I just went like this, and I hear this from the living room. And don't just splash water on the soap either. You wipe it around on your hands. There was a mirror over our sink, and I can remember going like this. And the minute I did this, I hear this from the living room. Quit making those faces, too. How did she do that? She knew me. She knew me. I can remember our little, our, our middle one used to be so sick when he was growing up. Had a horrible asthma attack. Spent a lot of time in the hospital. And, and uh, you know, I'd always walk in and just check him first thing and see whether he was sick. And every time I walk in, you know, I'd say, well, it looks like the boys are okay. And Beck would say, Isaac's going to be sick within 24 hours. I'd say, how do you know? Look at his eyes. You know? I'd look at his eyes and I'd count. One, two. He's got two. <laughs> Looks normal. You know? She could tell looking at his eyes. See? Now, let me ask you something. Shouldn't we have the kind of relationship with Christ that if he walked into a room, we'd know it? We wouldn't have to do a lot of interview, a lot of, you know, pra- we would know it. See, that's the kind of relationship God wants us to have. But the trend in the society in which we live is just the opposite. The trend in the society in which we live is that you don't have to be intimate. You don't have to know things about one another. You don't have to have deep conversations that will let you know someone else inside and out. No, keep it practical. Keep it light. Because the other kind of conversation makes you uncomfortable. And so that's the kind of religion we build. Just like the folks in the Old Testament, that's the kind of religion that they built.
So we don't do the very difficult things, the things that we have to do in order to know Christ. We don't read the Bible every day because we keep looking for a religion that will do something for us, make us feel safe, give us forgiveness, give us a worshiping community to go to, let us belong to a church. Those are things that that religion does for us. Are you telling me I have to read my Bible every day? There's no other way to know Christ? That's exactly what I'm telling you. We've got to pray. There's no way to know someone without talking to them and hearing from them. There is no other way. Are you saying to me, I've got to pray, I've got, you know, I don't know how to pray. I've got to learn how to do that. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. There is no other way. We live in a society that continues to pretend that we can build our own world with people on our own basis and we can interview people according to how they fit our needs. And that love is something that we politically bargain for to fit into our worldview. This thing that is going to be technologically possible, this virtual reality, doesn't scare me nearly as much as the trend which it answers. And the trend is, choose your own world, build your own world. Never mind long-term relationships. Never mind the tough questions that you have to ask. Never mind sticking with somebody long enough to where you have a relationship and you know them inside out. You know, that was the character of the original church. People knew each other. You remember Ananias trying to sneak by with just giving part of his proceeds of his land? He didn't get two feet in the door. Everybody else was giving their, just giving the money to the church. They wanted the Lord to have it. And Ananias walked in, and, and he had kept a part, back a part of the, of the proceeds, which was no bad. It's his money, you know. He can do that. But the thing was, he's trying to sneak it. And he walks in the door, and Peter just looks up and says, Ananias? Who's put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I mean, obviously, that's the only one you're trying to lie to because you can't fool me. I know you better than that. That was a character of the original church. They knew each other. Now, it's important that we look at this culture as it is. And the development of this culture is calling for ad hoc relationships. Relationships that work. Relationships that provide, in the words of the Scripture, signs and wonders. See, signs and wonders are wonderful. Because you don't even need to know the person who gave them to you. You just, you just kind of take them in. Give me, give me, oh, give me the stuff, you know. Improve my life. Those are wonderful deals. That's the character of this age. To look for signs and look for wonders. Because intimacy is so much tougher. It's the character of this. I was talking with a, a guy who goes here who uh, is the head of a computer company. He said the big thing nowadays, Hunter, is, is to have virtual companies. I said, what's that? He said, companies who are networkers will come together on an ad hoc basis to do a particular task. And as soon as that task is done, they disband. And they wait for another task, which will assemble them again. Well, 
None of this. We've been in business since 1912, serving the public for 70 years. None of this stuff anymore. You know? Virtual companies. And I started thinking, that's how we're building all of our relationships. Will they perform something together? Is there a benefit to them? Is there something practical to be had? Watch out for building a relationship only on practical purposes. There's something deeper than that. It's tougher, but it's worth it. We're building a society of people with virtual marriages. That's why they could, they didn't even know about God. It's tough to talk about God. It's tough to talk about the deep things. Next week I'm going to talk about how tough it is to talk about God in the home. It's intimidating to talk about God. How in the world can you get close spiritually with somebody unless you talk about God? There is no way. You know what? We're building virtual churches. We come together for activities and programs. But we never have a general conversation about God. What's He doing in your life? Where do you see him? You know? What, what's, what evidence does he have in your heart that he's working? What are your needs? Without those conversations, we're just building our own little world. And we are very well adjusted to it. Thank you very much. When I brought this up before the elders about this place of the great conversation that I talked about last week, this farm, this wherever, you know, where we would get together and we would have these kinds of conversations. You know, kind of a cross between a Francis Schaeffer Labrie and a Rush Limbaugh. You know, kind of the, just going at it, see? Have these conversations. One of the elders very wisely said, you know, Hunter, you may be scratching an itch that isn't itching. Because as I see people come in, they're very well adjusted to worshiping in cubicles. To coming in and just saying, God, what have you got for me today? And not being tremendously aware of anybody around them. And I know he's right. I know he's right. It's a part of this culture. It's a part of our thinking. It's a part of what we build. We think of terms that have to do with ourselves. Do you know, somebody showed me a, an article this week uh, that uh, Charles Krautheimer had... had uh, Written, I think it was in Time magazine, about this uh, Catherine Lee Powers who turned herself in after 23 years, who had been involved in a bank robbery in, in, the, uh, in the old, uh, uh, this restful 60s. Bank robbery which had claimed the life of a bank guard. And I think it left his seven children orphaned. I can't remember how many. And after 23 years... She turned herself in. And when asked why she was turning herself in, her husband replied as this. She didn't feel she could be authentic. She didn't feel she could live her life freely. And she was tired of not being able to be herself. Nothing about rectifying the guilt of making seven kids orphans. She just was cramped in herself. And she wanted to be free of that. And to make matters worse, the piece de resistance was in the article, he cites 
Newsweek writing about it, and the quote from Newsweek was this. You know, we don't know whether to feel sorrier for those seven orphans or this poor woman who lived 23 years never being able to be herself. This is not a tough thing for me. Is this tough for you to decide which is worse? This is not, this is not a difficult thing. This, are you kidding? But do you see how much we've become accustomed to thinking in terms of our own world? How much we've become adjusted to the fact that, well, real life is just being by ourselves and having other people in periodically that improve our lives. When the, the gospel says exactly the opposite. That you're not, not authentic till you love and you can't love except on their basis. Not on yours. Because that's what love is. It's loving according to their basis, not yours. You know, some of you know that when I was in uh, working on my doctorate, I was in uh, an insane asylum for a year as a chaplain. As a chaplain. <laughs> I love getting your attention like that. Worked in an insane asylum for a year. Let me tell you the common factor that all of those people had. This was the common ingredient of every patient in that mental hospital. They all lived in their own world. They all had their own world that they had made up. And they could come out every once in a while, but they would go right back in. And none of them realized they were living in their own world. I don't see much difference between them and us. I really don't. As I talk with people, and see them watching, watch them building their own individual lives and, and, and building relationships according to what they need at the time, I don't see much difference. It's the same thing to me. I don't see that much difference between them and the church. I mean, I know this hurts our feelings, but realistically, how well do you know the church? Realistically, how well do you know the person sitting beside you? How much have you talked about the deep things of life to them? You know, it doesn't come any other way. It just doesn't come any other way. That's what God wants us to do, to have that continual conversation with Christ and about Christ and for Christ with each other. Because that's how we can love each other best. What it requires is... If you're going to build anything, you've got to know the scriptural principle of according to. Remember the scriptural principle. Everything is duplicated according to. This is both a creation and a redemption principle, so don't miss it. If you're trying to build something, you've got to have that kind of seed. In scripture, in Genesis 1, everything multiplied according to its seed. When it says in John 3, 6, you must be born again. Why does it say it? Because flesh is born according to flesh and spirit is born according to spirit. When it says in 1 Corinthians 2, that if you want to be the judge of all things, if you want to have an outside view, you've got to have a spiritual mind like Christ. 
because that is the only way you can do it. But in order to have that, you've got to be different than a natural mind. Because only the Spirit can appraise all things. And therefore, you've got to think according to the Spirit. And you've got to talk according to the Spirit. That has to be your attention. That's the only way to build the kind of world that has people together. Not for convenience. Not for practicality. But for love. And that's what God wants to build. And that's what God wants to build here. So, let me give you the very difficult word. That if you want to be close to Christ, you've got to have those conversations with Him. Those great conversations that talk about your life. You've got to get the information from Scripture. It is no other place. You've got to be able to pray and listen and sense. There is no other way. But an addendum and the completion of that is to be able to have that conversation together. To be able to say together, we can't be deceived. We talk about Him and with Him and to Him and hear from Him every day. If there's a false prophet that gets up, we'll, uh, we'll recognize it immediately. Because we haven't stayed in our own little worlds. And we haven't just talked about the weather with each other. We haven't just said, nice tie. We've taken the trouble to get ourselves in situations where we can have important conversations. The only way to do that is to be connected. The only way to do that is to have conversation. The only way to do that is to have communion. Figuratively and literally. Pray with me. God, as we come to your table, help us this Sunday not to come as individuals just to have our sins forgiven or to feel personally close to you There's nothing wrong with that, God, but give us this Sunday the connection with each other. Help us to understand that there are other people in the sanctuary with us that have the same needs that we do, that want the same love as we do, and are connected with us in Jesus Christ. God, come and bring us together as only your Spirit can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.